Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, where my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pau Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving and that you're staying safe. Joining me on the show this week, Mary Carrillo, member of the Sports Broadcasting Hall of Fame. She's a correspondent for HBO Real Sports. You've seen her on NBC's coverage of the Olympics. She's a commentator for the National Dog Show. And she's a longtime tennis commentator. She used to play pro tennis uh, back in the, I believe it was the 80s. So really good, insightful conversation with Mary Carrillo coming up on our show today. I'm joined virtually by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how was your Thanksgiving? It was great. You know, it was different this year as we all had different, but it was nice to just, you know, have some uh, some good food and hang with the family, watch some Christmas movies. So yeah, I had a good uh, couple days off. It was nice. Excellent. Uh COVID is in just, it's gone crazy in the sports world in the last week. You know, the NFL is the most popular sport in America. And Griggs, back in September, the NFL was averaging six positive tests per week throughout the month of September. In the first two weeks of November, the league averaged 54 positive tests among players and personnel. And Griggs, in the last week, we saw... The Denver Broncos didn't have a quarterback because the first three quarterbacks on their roster couldn't play. So they had to sign someone off the practice squad who usually plays wide receiver to play quarterback. We've seen the San Francisco 49ers need to move to Arizona because Santa Clara County will not allow people of 10 or more to gather. So they can't have games in Santa Clara. And we've seen the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens as of this recording, have to postpone their game that was supposed to be played on Thanksgiving three times. So as I've said since March, Griggs, we are playing these games in college and in pro sports because of the money, because of the revenues, because if you don't play them, in many cases, some of these entities go out of business. I get it. But if you remove the money from the equation, what in God's name are we doing? I mean, we have cases at an all-time high in the United States, and things are being postponed every day. I mean, I I look at Twitter every day, and every hour, a college or pro sports event is being postponed or canceled. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, we're looking at 
almost NFL every single day this coming week because they just keep moving them. And then there's the Monday game with Dallas is now on Tuesday. It's just like, it's crazy. It just keeps changing. Like you said, every minute there's a new game changed or a new game canceled or postponed or moved. It's, it's nuts. In the NFL, uh, the New Orleans Saints were fined half a million dollars and stripped of a seventh round draft pick after players had a post-game celebration without mass. That's when they beat Tampa Bay a few weeks ago. The Saints were previously fined $250,000 after head coach Sean Payton didn't properly wear a mask on the sideline during a game. In addition, the New England Patriots were fined $350,000 for breaking protocols related to quarterback Cam Newton's positive COVID-19 test. The Raiders were fined half a million dollars and a six-round pick earlier this month after multiple violations. And then Griggs, you know, we're seeing these crazy cases this week in the NFL, and a lot of people are saying, well, people spent Thanksgiving together with families or extended families, or they just weren't safe. And now we're seeing them come from their home into the locker room. So the NFL, as we record this on Tuesday, for the beginning of this week, Monday, Tuesday, and I think they open again on Wednesday, they have closed all NFL facilities. So no coaches, no players, no training staff. No one is allowed to go to an NFL facility for the beginning of this week. Yeah, it's crazy. I think you're right. Coming out of Thanksgiving where everybody with no quarantine stuff, everybody's with families and friends and doing everything that no one knows about. And then all of a sudden they're back in a locker room, you know, face to face with a whole group of guys. So you can see why it's, it's spreading quickly and why it's uh, going crazy. And uh, who knows? I mean, as you said, minute to minute. So two absolutely dreadful NFL games on Thanksgiving. Usually there's three, but as I just told you, the Ravens and Steelers have been postponed now three times. The two games that did take place, the early game, Houston just walloped Detroit. And in the afternoon game, Washington went into Dallas and, and beat them handily. Griggs, Washington, Dallas, 30.3 million viewers. Houston, Detroit, 23.3 million viewers. If that doesn't show the power of the NFL on TV, I don't know what does because I would have rather watched paint dry on the side of my house than those two NFL games on Thanksgiving. Yeah, exactly. I think everybody was looking forward to the Steelers uh, Ravens, obviously, but when that one got canceled, it was like, okay, but you're right. Still people watching and, uh, it's crazy. You're right. Watching paint dry. Those games were awful, especially that Detroit game. It was like, oh, what are we watching? Yeah. And the thing is, again, I understand why leagues like the NFL continue to push through and continue to play. But at what point do you start to go? All right. The integrity of the league is at stake. Case in point. If I had been paying attention and I am not a gambler, but if I had been paying attention Earlier in the week, you know, you figure the Saints are going to beat the Broncos, right? The Saints are the number one seed in the NFC. The Broncos are not having a good year. When you find out that the Broncos have their top three quarterbacks not able to play because of COVID, and now they've got to sign someone from the practice squad. Okay, they pulled the game from the betting lines in most casinos and most online gambling entities. I think it was the day before the game. But wouldn't you have bet your house on New Orleans playing against a team that doesn't have a quarterback? I mean, where's the integrity there? 
Because you could just say, hey, I'm going to bet a bazillion dollars on New Orleans and and I'm going to feel pretty comfortable that they're going to cover. And they did. When you look at the Baltimore Ravens, they have not been able to practice in over a week. If they play their game on Wednesday, by the way, Greg's a 3.40 p.m. Eastern time kickoff on a Wednesday because NBC is airing the tree lighting at Rockefeller Center later that night. So it's going to be a weird time. But if you're the Ravens and you haven't practiced in a week and a half, isn't that a recipe for injuries and people being out of shape and not being able to train? Like the integrity of the league is officially at stake in my opinion. I agree. And not to mention Ravens are coming against an undefeated Steelers team. So I mean, it's like, okay, what are we doing here? And you're right. Like the uh, Denver saints game. I mean, when it first came out that they didn't have quarterbacks, they were talking about, you know, Royce Freeman, the running back, being the quarterback. It's like they were smart to pull the betting lines. But still, I agree. The integrity is going away every week more and more because these games, just some of them shouldn't be played. It's just ridiculous. Mark that down as one of my biggest regrets of 2020. I should have bet like my house, my car, <laughs> everything I own on the New Orleans Saints to beat Denver without a quarterback. Uh, and again, I'm not a gambler, but like if there's ever been a bet that like, you know, we always joke about uh, in the movie Back to the Future. Remember, he finds the magazine like with the results of the sports gambling from the future. So like he makes all the bets knowing the results of the games and becomes like a bazillionaire. Well, Mm -hmm. that's kind of what happened here. Like you, you know that New Orleans is going to beat Denver convincingly because Denver doesn't have a quarterback. So Again, if you were ever going to bet on a sporting event, you pretty much knew what the outcome of that event was going to be, right? Oh, yeah, totally. And a good reference with Back to the Future. That's totally what it is. Like, I know how this is going to end up. I'm betting everything. Let's go. <laughs> so it's, just, it's, it's crazy. Uh, and NBA is about to start up, and they're going to be playing outside of the bubble. So remember, earlier in the year, they played in Orlando. Well, now... You know, they're having virtual media days and virtual training camps. And and I think we're getting a glimpse of what sports is going to look like, at least for the foreseeable future, where you're not going to have fans at games. You're not going to have media at games or they're not going to be interviewing people in person. They're going to be on the Zoom like everyone else. And you'll hear Mary Carrillo talk about that a little bit. Even though you're at an event covering an event doesn't mean you have access in person to the athletes or the coaches. You've got to hop on the Zoom like everyone else does. It's just, it's really going to be interesting to see what happens with the remainder of the NFL season, the remainder of college football, which by the way, I think we're at nine bowl games and counting that have canceled. And what happens with the uh, NBA season. And by the way, Back earlier in the year, I think we talked about this on this show, and, and Keith Foreman, who joins us on the show regularly, co-founder of Sports Business Radio, and I, we've talked about this. Here's another bet I would have placed. College football playoff. Alabama, Ohio State, Notre Dame, Clemson. I would have bet that those would have been the four teams that would have been in the college football playoff, no matter what the outcome of the games are, because college football playoff is a TV show. It's about TV ratings. It's about getting big fan bases to tune in. It's not about, ooh, you know, let's see what Northwestern looks like in the college football playoff, or let's look and see what, you know, Cincinnati or or some, you know, small school looks like in the college football playoff. They want the big, big teams. And sure enough, Griggs, in the first 
poll, the first round of, you know, voting for college football playoff, those are the four teams. I am going to go on a, a mini rant here for the next 10 seconds. I am so tired of college football being the same thing every year. It's the same four or five teams in the college football playoff every single year. It's been that way for most of the last decade. Griggs, I'm I'm so bored with it. Yep. I'm totally fed up with it, too. It's, you're right. It's exactly the same thing. It's a TV show. They want the big four schools that have been in the last four or five years. And sure enough, I'm with you. Bet the house because it's going to be the same four teams again. Half these leagues aren't even going to play five or six games. There's no way they're going to put a, you know, Eastern Carolina, South, Southern New Hampshire in a, in a college football playoff. It's just not going to happen. I mean, we're out West and I saw a stat the other day that the average Pac-12 team will play 4.5 games. I don't know what 0.5 of a game is, but you're only going to play like four games. And so, so why did we even come back again? I understand the TV money, the revenues that come with playing games, all of that, but for four games, really? Like that's what we're doing here. And, and that's what we're doing with the NFL is you go back to March. And I've said this time and time again on this show, one Rudy Gobert test shut down the NBA and then the dominoes fell and the rest of the sports world shut down. March Madness was canceled. Everything was canceled. We're looking at 54 positive tests a week in the NFL. We've postponed Raven Steelers three times. Like what is it going to take to cancel or forfeit a game in the NFL? You really start to wonder at this point. Yeah, I totally agree. And like you mentioned with the NBA too, starting without the bubble, you see that's probably going to head the same way as the NFL. I mean, are these guys going to start getting 50 tests a week? Then what happens? Do we get canceled games for the NBA? And it's just like, it's going to be just an absolute cluster. So uh, who knows? Well, and, and the last thing I'll say on this is the San Francisco 49ers dilemma is the latest example of how this is not one size fits all in the United States. Each state governs differently. They have their own guidelines and regulations. And San Francisco is part of the NFL. They have part of the state of California, but in their County, Santa Clara County, they are not allowed to host games or play games anymore for the foreseeable future. So they've had to move to Arizona. The Rams are in the same state. They can play just fine and, and host games in Los Angeles. We don't know how the virus is going to impact different states, different counties in the United States. So you could be looking at situations where teams like the Niners have to relocate to other states or other counties within their own state where they can actually play a game if the sport continues to play games. Yeah, it's just crazy. And like you mentioned, San Francisco playing the next two in Arizona, then they have a road game and then they're back playing in Arizona against the Cardinals. So it's like basically move your family to Arizona for the next month if you're San Francisco. And uh, and again, it's it's like you said, county to county, it's governor to governor, it's state to state. So that changes the whole outlook for every single team. So it's just nuts. Well, before we get to the conversation with Mary Carrillo, I would invite you to go into the sports business radio vault and access some of our podcast archives some great conversations recently. Last week, Arthur Blank, the owner of the Atlanta Falcons and MLS's Atlanta United, co-founder of Home Depot, has a great new book out called Good Company. Just a really insightful conversation with him. What a leader. I mean, he's not just a, an owner. He is a leader. 
and he is a philanthropist and uh, he has some really good tangible advice for how to run your company as a values-based company. Bubba Watson's been on, Abby Wambach has been on, Mark Cuban has been on. I mean, our guest list this year is off the charts, the best we've ever had. And uh, I would invite our listeners to go back and, and listen to some of those podcasts. And, you know, Griggs, if there's a silver lining for us in 2020, it's that people like Ken Griffey Jr. and some of the guests that I just mentioned have been more accessible. Pau Gasol, Candace Parker, for us to be able to have conversations that we have brought to our, our listeners. And I feel very good about that. Oh, I agree. And we've had some great, I mean, through this whole COVID thing, it's been really cool to get insight from Mark Cuban and from, you know, Abby Wambach and all these players and, and owners. And, and it's just cool to see what they're seeing on their side of the, the world and the business. So uh, yeah, some great interviews and great listens for sure. Go to the vault. All right. Coming up next, I think you'll enjoy this conversation. Mary Carrillo, Hall of Fame broadcaster. You find her on HBO Real Sports. She does the Olympic commentary for NBC. Uh, she even does the national dog show, and she did that remotely this year. I think you'll enjoy this conversation. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. CBDMD is the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio, and I couldn't be happier. Their products have made a huge difference in the quality of my life, my daughter's life, even our dog's life. I was having a difficult time sleeping, and CBDMD CBDPM drops and capsules have allowed me to sleep better than I have in years. CBD Freeze has been amazing for my daughter and I after we work out. Even our dog loves CBDMD's soft chews. They've got a great array of products. And one of the things I like the most about CBDMD's products, they're all THC-free. That was very important to me. CBDMD is also the first American CBD company to be publicly listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Check them out under the ticker symbol YCBD. Athletes such as two-time Masters champion golfer Bubba Watson, former NFL wide receiver turned broadcaster Nate Burleson, and UFC athletes Daniel Cormier and Chael Sonnen use CBDMD's high-quality products. Change your quality of life just like I did. These are anxious times for a lot of us. And CBDMD's products have helped me sleep better and just live a, a higher quality of life. Visit CBDMD.com and enter the promo code SBR to save 25% off at checkout. That's CBDMD.com, promo code SBR. My guest is Mary Carrillo. She is a member of the Sports Broadcasting Hall of Fame. You've seen her on HBO Real Sports as a correspondent. She's also on NBC as a terrific Olympics correspondent, commentator for the National Dog Show, and a longtime tennis commentator. Mary, thanks for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm very well. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. A lot of those sports you just mentioned didn't really happen too much in 2020, did they? Well, so that's where I wanted to start, and I've been starting with all my guests, is how has your job changed in 2020? Well, and a lot of stuff that I was supposed to cover like the Olympics in Tokyo, not I mean, that that didn't happen. Wimbledon did not happen. I usually I've been spending better part of forty years covering that tournament. Um, a lot of things went away. I called Brian, for instance, I called the Italian Open tennis championships from Los Angeles. I called the French Open championships from Stanford, Connecticut. I actually went to the U.S. Open tennis championships, which was held in New York, and I actually got to go to New York. Um, 
But other than that, I really haven't been traveling much at all in 2020. And then the National Dog Show, didn't you call that remotely as well? I, yeah, we did that remotely. I did it over about four days because we did a bunch of features about... I, it, it was actually pretty heartwarming because so many dogs, understandably, have been adopted this year by people who are at home, working from home, are lonely, you know, can't hug other people. Um, so, I mean, there have been some bright spots, I would say, uh, in this god-awful year of the pandemic. And uh, telling the dog stories was kind of nice, listening to how, how and why people adopted the dogs they did. And, and now there's now there are dogs that are being trained to sniff out COVID in people because they can do that for certain cancers as well. So, yes, I, in fact, I'm doing another dog show that will air in January uh, in Orlando next week, but I'm not allowed inside of the arena. I've got to, I've got to do all my reporting from, from outside the arena. So yeah, there've been a hell of a lot of changes. And I just wonder from you, Brian, because I know you've been talking to a lot of people about this year in sports. Are there any good takeaways? Are there any things that you have watched happen in the world of professional sports this year or college sports that you actually hope continue on in 2021? Yeah, I mean, I think we're more efficient than we may have been before. I, I think we're learning what we really need in order to make an event work mm. or a production work and, and what we may not need. So I think the efficiencies have been better. I think uh, voice activated and touchless is going to be big going forward. So, you know, I saw the Super Bowl this week announce that they're going to be cashless from now on. So um, certain, yeah. certain things like that. I think how we clean facilities is going to be more efficient yeah. and more thorough. Um, yeah. but look, you know, as we move into the point of the conversation here, where we talk about your most recent piece for real sports on HBO, you did a real poignant piece on super fans. I think people miss being around each other, whether they're season ticket holders or players or coaches or broadcasters, we all miss being around each other. That's right. That that was sort of the, the point of it. I mean, there were parts of it that were funny because there's a guy who's been dressing up as a gorilla for a couple of decades. <laughs> there's Bando Man and Clipper Darrell, their bird lady, who's a big Falcons fan, and they have missed their community. They've missed being part of something bigger than themselves. So that was actually, when I when the story was first pitched to me, I thought, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if this is really, are these just, you know, kind of crazy people? But then I got to understand why they were super fans, you know, what, 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 what a fanatic, you know, what, what's the through line with all these people. And the fact is, these are people who like family, who like being part of something big and celebrating that. So it's been a hard year for, 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 for that, for that subset of people and for fans everywhere. I, I'm one of those people, Brian, who feels that my physical presence at a sporting event can change the outcome of it. <laughs> if I focus hard enough, if I stare hard enough at the quarterback or at the guy serving, or at, like I, I genuinely feel that my presence can alter the, the, the chemicals in the air and, and change an outcome. So that's how crazy I am. So have you seen the movie with Robert De Niro and Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence? Uh, what is it? Silver Linings? Yeah. Play okay, so yeah, Robert De Niro's character, you know, the juju in the room, like he can't move <laughs> from his seat or he's got to hold the remote a certain way in order for the outcome to be the same. Is that you? Yes. 
<laughs> well, not, I'm not as nutty as that, but <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I remember, uh, you know, I grew up playing tennis with John McEnroe. We grew up a couple of blocks away from each other in, in New York. And I remember watching him as a young professional. Like if he saw that I was talking to the guy next to me or something, if I wasn't concentrating fully on his match, he'd glare at me. Like he knew I wasn't in it, <laughs> engaged fully. And he'd give me this withering look. And then I had to like snap back to his match. So I think early on, I recognized what my own personal power was sitting in the stands. That's very funny. But seriously, your piece was really well done. Bird Lady, Clipper, Clipper Daryl, uh, Gorilla Rilla. At first, like you said, I went into it going, okay, these are super fans. They miss the teams playing and being at the games. But then you see like how important this is to their identity. And, and I felt really sorry for them by the end of the piece. I know. I, you know, the, the two that I found most poignant, um, Bird Lady, this is a this is a, a woman who all she ever wanted to be from the time she was a little girl was a mom, you know, and she wasn't able to. So she feels like she is the mother bird, the mother hen of everybody in Falcon Stadium. And and of course people they love seeing her, even opposing teams like super fans from the home teams, you know. And and Gorilla Rilla, uh, Mark Acasio is his name. This is a guy who grew up hard, you know. He grew up, his parents were both gone by the time he was a little boy. He never felt like he got to be a child. So the idea that he could dress up every Sunday, you know, in this in a gorilla costume and cheer his heart out for a team he loves, that allowed him to be the boy he never got to be. So yes, these when you when you understand how these people got to where they are every Sunday, yeah, it means something. Mary, I'm watching what's going on in the NFL right now. In the first two weeks of November, the league averaged 54 positive COVID tests among players and personnel. That's an increase from six positive tests per week throughout the month of September. What are we doing right now? I mean, the Ravens-Steelers game has been postponed three times. Again, yes. I just, what I've said from the beginning in March, and this is a business show, it's all about the money, right? We're, we're trying to save businesses. We are trying to save revenues, college sports, pro sports. I get it. But if you remove the money from the equation, is it this ludicrous that we're playing sports during a pandemic? You know, I, the way this entire country is handling this pandemic is shameful. I mean, more to the point, I mean, we are just not, we are just not doing what other countries are are willing to do, and I'm I'm actually shocked that the NFL is still going on. They've still got two more months to go, and this is the meat of the season. So, yeah, who is that guy a couple of days ago who had to become the quarterback? <laughs> yeah, for the Denver Broncos. Yeah, they hadn't thrown a ball. I don't think since like his second year in college. Or so. I mean, this is madness, and there's no bubble, and there's no. Uh, it, it seems like they're not taking all the precautions that the WNBA and the NBA were willing to take. Um, so this can't be a surprise to anybody. And and more than that, um, my daughter and son-in-law used to live in Columbus, Ohio, and my son-in-law is a huge football college football fan. And I'm so glad they're not there now because the outbreak in Columbus, Ohio, is one of the worst in the country. Because not because because people, it's not like the fans are allowed in the stadium, but they're all still gathering in bars and cheering and screaming at each other and sharing air and COVID with each other. 
And I'm just, I, again, I'm, I'm just so happy my kids don't live in Columbus anymore. I mean, this is, it's very scary. It's very frightening. Um, and it just doesn't seem like we're staying ahead of it at all. Um, I'm, I'm very worried about it. And, but and I just, on a, and obviously TV is a big part of it. I mean, the money is coming from TV, right? The money right. is coming from all these people who want to get stuff on the air and, and their, their TV rights and all of that. I get all of it. I understand the, the financial burden that is being put upon sports leagues to continue on, but it's not safe. You can't call it safe. And I have to tell you also, I did, as I said, I called the French Open. I called it, I was with Dan Hicks in the studio in Stanford, Connecticut, and the third member of our broadcasting team, John McEnroe, was in Malibu, California, <laughs> from his home. I, and there was no, they had, NBC had figured it out so well because they've been doing it with hockey already. They already, they already figured out how to make it work and make it seamless. And after the first, and there's no like delay sometimes, there are no glitches, nobody, you know, nobody dropped out. And after the first show, John McGinnis, our, our producer for, uh, for tennis at NBC, he said, all right, God, that worked out well, guys, you know, thanks. And I, and I said to him, we're never going back to Paris again, are we? I mean, tragically, it worked great if you happen to love the city of Paris. There's no reason for us to go back there and, and you know, be on site. You know, it's so, to your point, it's so much more efficient to do it this other way. It's much more economical. The, and over the months from the beginning of the pandemic to now, you know, you can watch any kind of a news show where there are people coming in from all over the country. It looks so much better and sounds so much better now than it did in the beginning. Right. Right. Well, so, and, and I mean, what's going to, yeah, you look at the NBA. So they go inside the bubble in Orlando and I used to work in the NBA. So I have friends, you know, no one sent their team broadcasters inside the bubble. Everyone called games remotely the networks called games on site but the teams themselves called games remotely and you know if you start thinking about the access to the players and coaches like do they really want more people on the team playing the money they can save and like you just said it's been proven now that you can call a game remotely and and it looks and sounds okay i wonder if that's going to be part of the new normal going forward is things are going to be called remotely a lot more uh, that would be my guess, honestly. And for instance, I was I was doing the world feed. I was calling tennis matches at the U.S. Open for the world feed, so I was on site. And I so I guess I assumed that I would be able to go to the press conferences of the players, but I couldn't. Even though I was there, I would have to join like the big Zoom press mm -hmm. conference instead. You know what I mean? So my access was pretty good, but it wasn't good enough for me to actually talk to the players. So I wasn't getting, I had the advantage of being there physically and watching the U.S. Open. When I wasn't working, I was, you know, about 10 feet away from these guys. I, I had access to seats I never get when I'm working as far as But, yeah, I mean, how, I think it's going to be hard to justify going forward, even when the pandemic lifts. I just think so much has changed and it's, the technology has gotten so good that it would be hard to justify schlepping a bunch of people, you know, a production team and broadcasters and all that. It would be hard to justify that now if you don't have to, right? So let me ask you something. And I think you are 
ultimately qualified to answer this question. You're someone who has done poignant pieces for Real Sports and also for NBC with the Olympics, those human interest stories. Can you tell the story in the same way remotely like you did with the superfan piece, or do you need to be in person with the subject? I I absolutely think it helps to be face-to-face with these subjects. I had done a a real sports piece earlier in the summer and (laughs) um, about a guy who'd been uh, a speed skater who turned in and finally made it, and it was in... after he's and he won silver in Sochi for speed skating, and then he became a baseball player. And after you know six years in the minors, he made it up to the major. It was a beautiful story. And I only interviewed three people. I interviewed I interviewed him and his father and his brother, and I made two out of three of them cry. Like my one of the producers on Real Sports said, "How did you do that?" <laughs> wow. I, mean, I, I guess it's a point of pride, but but also I just I it's not. It's not the same. Obviously, there's a membrane of doing things remotely. There's a membrane between you and your subject that didn't exist before. But that that is where it really counts that you that you gain trust um, to the to the people you're you're speaking to. to you know that you really invest um, in the story and avail yourself to these people. And it, it will not be the same. But that's why I'm, I'm going to have to get better at what I do. I, I want to be as good an interviewer now as, as I can possibly be because I do feel like this is going to be how it goes from now on in large measure. Interesting. So you have worked for NBC for a long time when it comes to the Olympics. And I'm looking at you know next year. So it's been postponed to July 23rd, 2021. It was supposed to take place this year, as you mentioned. You should have been in Tokyo this year. Just on the surface, you look at this and go, okay, we're bringing athletes and fans and coaches from all over the world together to one spot. We talk about super spreader events. Isn't yeah. this like the Super Bowl of super spreader events if we do this without a vaccine? I... I- I, yeah, of course it is. Um, of course it is. Um, and I got to tell you, NBC continues to sound optimistic about it being able to happen. But I, I quickly say that so much of the NBC team, production crew and announcers, they will still be in Stanford, Connecticut. Mm-hmm. And so there was, I was to go to Tokyo this year because I do those kind of stories you speak of, you know, historical pieces and, you know, you know, uh, that kind of stuff, history pieces and, and like biographical stories. I did, in fact, I'd already shot three pieces for the Tokyo games last year. Um, I, I took a deep dive into sumo wrestling, <laughs> um, uh, into, uh, I, I, you know, uh, I was there for the cherry blossom season. Uh, I learned all about samurai. Um, and those are the kind of pieces you've got. Obviously, you've got to be in that right. to tell a story like that. I was going to go to Tokyo. I was scheduled to go to Tokyo in 2020. I'm assuming I'm still scheduled to go in 2021, but it'll be a much smaller crew that, that heads over to Japan next summer if it, if it indeed happens. Hmm. And again, the safety. Here's the other question, and this is this is really deals more with the morals and ethics of of the vaccine, like who gets it? 
who gets it first? I mean, shouldn't it be the elderly and doctors and nurses? And I mean, can you really, can Olympic athletes really jump the line just because the Olympics is going on next year? <laughs> I think I'd have a hard time. I'd have a hard time. I'd much rather my 90-year-old mother and my soon-to-be 95-year-old father got the vaccine before any sprinter or any gymnast, you know? Well, and they're saying... 90 to 95% success rate. Well, do we really want to take a risk of who's in the five to 10%? I mean, I love how during this pandemic, we throw out all these numbers and we're so casual with like, you know, the five or the 10% that it doesn't work out for them or they're younger and they may not get it. So they can take a risk that other people can't. I have a daughter. I'm not willing to take that risk with her. No, no, of course not. Uh, I know, and and what's interesting now are the lingering effects of having had COVID, you know, and how it affects the lungs and how people are still remarkably tired months after they're allegedly over it, you know. And um, I don't know. I I share all of your concerns, all of them. Mm -hmm. Um, And and frankly, on a a personal level, as I said, I have elderly parents. I've got a 10-month-old granddaughter. And the idea that I would have to quarantine, you know, two weeks there, two weeks back, you know, uh, just to make myself safe that I, that I can't infect them or, or vice versa. That, that's a, that's a hard, these are, you know what I've got, Brian, I've in the year 2020, I have, I haven't had COVID. I've been tested a lot, but I absolutely have decision fatigue. Mm. If that's a term, <laughs> like you try to decide what, all right, what should I do? What's safe? I really need to go get more milk today. Can I stay at it? You know, God, everyone's down. Like I live in Naples, Florida. People here, so many people here aren't wearing masks. They're at the beach. They act like, you know, if they can't see it, it's not there. So yeah, I have decision fatigue. Well, you might have a big one coming up with the Olympics. You know, if they gave you the choice of you can do your job remotely or you can actually go to Tokyo, that would be a big decision. I'll tell you, as I said, I was in the Stanford studios um, for the French Open. That place is, and normally the NBC, that building uh, where, you know, where all the sports come out of, it's usually, it's, I think it usually has about 800 people in it on any given day. There are maybe a couple of dozen of us there hmm. for the fortnight. I mean, maybe. And there are arrows up and down the hallways. You can only take this hallway to go one way and this one to go the other way. There were temperature checks obviously every day um it's i i felt very very safe um and i i like that feeling you know i'm i'm 63 years old myself you know i i i'm i'm becoming more and more uh susceptible to anything you know so yeah i um yeah as i as i said there there are going to be hard decisions to make really hard decisions well I, in fact i was supposed to cover it the U.S. Open Tennis for Tennis Channel from a studio in L.A., but I hadn't seen my parents since February. They still live in New York, so I took another job with another network just so that I could be in New York for a couple of weeks and see my mom for her 90th birthday. Wow. And those are the kind of decisions I never had to make before, and now I make them. I feel like I make them every day. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back after this. If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. 
Mizzen in Maine is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenandMaine.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenandMaine.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Maine also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenandMaine.com. Use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenandMaine.com, code SBR. Now, back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. You know, I've been saying this on this show a lot, too. After 9-11, there was a new normal, right? We, we go to the airport differently. There's different security protocols. After this, there's going to be a new normal. It's not going to go back to the way that it was. And I think we're seeing some of the preludes, temperature testing and, and things like that, that will be part of the new normal. Yeah, absolutely. And then what do you do with all these stadia that hold 90,000 people? I mean, is that ever going to happen again? Are we ever going to want to fill our stadiums the way, the way they're designed to take on people now? You know? Yeah, and, and 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 if that's the case, do you going forward will sports leagues want much more intimate arenas so that the sound, the acoustics are better, the sound is, but the atmosphere is better. I, there's a lot that we still don't know, isn't it? Yeah, there is a lot. And, and if I were, if I were, uh, you know, Steve Ballmer or someone like that building a new stadium for the Los Angeles Clippers, I would certainly look mm-hmm. at a more intimate facility than right. one that holds twenty five thousand people. Yeah, that's right. But then you don't have the gate that you that you that you want. Like some, it depends on. And again, I, and it's hard to know if it, it's hard to know how much COVID affected. Like, did the did fans did the ratings go down for sports this year because everything was bunched together in the fall, or because the fans didn't care about sports anymore? It seemed like a, a lesson. You know, will the gate even if the gates even if the doors fly open because because they found a vaccine. Are people, does people really want to bunch up together like that the way they have in the past? I don't know. I'm not too big on crowds anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I just don't, I, you're right. Everything that this is, I got to tell you, just walking around with masks, that normalized for me very quickly. And I, you know, you used to see people wearing masks in airports sometimes, especially if you were traveling through Asia and it looked weird. And now it looks, I get upset if I see someone who doesn't have one on. No, I totally agree. I'll never get on an airplane again without a mask. Right, right, exactly. So, and, and you oh. know, I went for a walk with my daughter in the country the other day and everyone had a mask on. And, you know, you're out in the fresh air. People still were wearing their masks. And it's really not that hard. I, I, you know, I try not to get too political on this show, but some things, like you said at the beginning of the interview, Look at how other countries have handled this and where they are. And then look at how we've handled this and where we are. It tells a pretty clear story. A damning story. I, I'm waiting to see whether the Australian Open tennis, is the first major of the tennis calendar happens in January in Melbourne, Australia. And they are speaking of either delaying it or not holding it, even though the city of Melbourne has not had a COVID outbreak in over a month. Think about that. Hmm. They still... and. And what they're saying is you can't travel with the same kind of entourage. You have to be in a bubble. You can only go directly 
from the courts to two different hotels that they've allocated as player hotels. You have to quarantine before and after. Like everything. And, and they don't want fans from anywhere outside of the state of Victoria. And Australia has done a hell of a job. I mean, New Zealand has done a hell of a job. We, we're losing tens of thousands of people every day in this country. So, yeah. again, shame on us. It's shame on us. And so, politicizing mass is absolutely insane. I would agree. Um, so let me ask you this. As someone who's covered tennis forever – at the beginning of this, you know, we kind of talked on this show about here are some sports that are pretty well positioned to at least play because of the social distancing. I think golf is one and we've seen that. I think tennis is a sport that, you know, because of the proximity of the competitors, it's not a contact sport. It's positioned well to actually execute the matches. What should the future of tennis look like? Because I think they're in a unique position to be able to maybe win some fans and get some eyeballs that they may not have had a year ago? The, the Tennis is absolutely one of the safest sports you can play. There's no contact. And most of the time, one player is about 80 feet away from the other. Um, the problem is that the tennis calendar bounces all over the globe from week to week. Hmm. So for tennis to move forward, it's going to have to regionalize. There's going to be, like for, for instance, in Australia, there's usually... Before the Australian Open, there's a tournament in Brisbane, there's a tournament in Perth, there's a tournament in Adelaide, and then, you know, uh, the summer Australian Open tennis goes for two weeks. That, that is how tennis will have to move going forward. Like all those tournaments, all those great tennis cities are going to collapse into Melbourne if they're able to pull off the Australian Open. Everything will happen there. And so players will stay in Australia for about six weeks every year. And then, it, and then North America, normally there's a tournament out in Indian Wells, California, and then it bounces to Miami, then it heads over to the clay courts of Europe, and they stay there for a while. Then it, that has to stop. You, you're going to have to, if, if North America wants tennis, they're going to have to regionalize. They're going to have to keep tournaments together. You know, Europe, they're going to have to go from, you know, maybe you can go from Spain to France safely, or Germany. There's tournaments there. But Every, you, you just can't keep bouncing from country to country anymore. That's the biggest problem I see in my own sport is that, you know, it's you go from country to country, time zone to time. That has never really been that big an issue, and now it's a huge issue, a huge issue. Do you think the men's tour, the ATP, and the women's tour, the WTA, will ever finally come together? So if you are going to regionalize, everyone can be under kind of one umbrella? That is the dream. <laughs> I'm only laughing because in the in the early months of the pandemic, it was there was like a real buzz about that happening. You know, right? The ATP men's tour, the WTA women's tour, they were finally going to sit down at a big table and smoke cigars and drink, you know, scotch and figure it all out. <laughs> Nothing like that has happened. And, and frankly, a, a big problem is that the men, for years, they've had their own sponsors, their own TV packages, their own. And there's still plenty of men in the locker room who don't want the women to, in, in their words, piggyback off of them, whatever. Um, so there are all kinds of reasons why I'm guessing it won't happen anytime soon, or at least it won't happen fairly, you know. And honestly, Brian, if you think about it, uh, for tennis tournaments to succeed, if you really want a profit margin in, in this sport, there's only, I'm, I'm guessing maybe there's 12 tournaments that have you know are going to have a successful profit margin every year. The four majors, 
and Indian Wells is in Miami, you know, Cincinnati in this country, and then over on the other side, Madrid's a big tournament, you know. But there aren't that many. Most most tournaments are a lot smaller. They depend on the gate. Uh, they depend on TV TV packages, streaming rights, all that kind of stuff. Um, so again, it, it's a tricky thing. There are a lot of tennis tournaments, tennis direct tournament directors who are truly hurting and wondering if they're even going to be able to keep their tournaments going mm-hmm. forward. Just a couple more minutes, uh, a few more questions. Are there any stories or events that you haven't covered that you want to cover? You're so versatile. You, you've done so many things in your career, your Hall of Fame career. But is there anything out there that you look at and go, you know, I really want to cover that? You know, it's so yes, of course. There's, uh, I mean, I'm it. I I see stories all the all the time that really engage me, and it's so funny. I don't know if you watched the Queen's Gambit. Oh my gosh, I loved it, loved it. So did I. So did I. And and clearly, I wasn't alone because I guess chessboard sales have gone through the roof. There, but anyway, I pitched that story to real sports. Whether you think chess is a sport or a game, the idea that women are considered less than men in the game of chess. I found fascinating and I wanted to do a deep dive into that. So I pitched the story to real sports. Somebody else had already pitched the chess. I think it was one of the associate producers. Like I'm, there are great, great ideas out there. Terrific stories. And, and, uh, oh, I mean, it never ends. You know, you can pick up, if I'm sitting in a doctor's office and I, I don't normally read field and stream, but there's something in there and I start going crazy. I want to leave the office and go try to fix myself. That happens all the time, all the time. And, and I mean, obviously in my world, uh, it becomes, it becomes very personal. I was so proud of Naomi Osaka, you know, the, the U S open champion this year. Um, this is a kid who said months ago at the start of the pandemic, she's Asian and black. And she became very woke in this time. And this is somebody who wrote months ago on Twitter. She wrote, I'm done being shot. Hmm. She walked out. I tried to get her before the U.S. Open last year. And we couldn't figure out the right time. We wanted more access than Naomi was willing to give us. And it's a pity because the kid won the tournament again for the second time. She won the Open wearing a mask uh, as she walked on and off the court of victims of police violence. And after the first one, you know, we didn't know that she was going to do that. And she was asked after the first one, are you going to have, you know, are you going to keep this up? And she said, I have seven masks and I want to use them all. It takes seven wins to win the title. And sure enough, she did that. Hmm. Um, I love stories like that. I, 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 And in my own sport, I know there are a bunch of stories I would love to tell. I would love to tell. You know what? It's funny. At the end of last year's, we have a year in review show coming up on Real Sports. It'll air in December. And at the end of last year, you know, we all get together, all the all the correspondents, it's a roundtable discussion. And Brian Gumble asked all of us, who's the one person you would like to interview? And everyone had great, I mean, everyone had their ideas. And, their, and when he got to me, I said, Serena and Venus's mom. <laughs> and Interesting. Said, and, the, and the reason is because she's very quiet, very private. Um, and she has been through a hell of a lot. And she doesn't talk about it. I would love to listen to that woman who I think is very thoughtful and 
And I would love, that's a story I would love to do sometime in the future. But frankly, Oprah is going to get it before me. You know? <laughs> hey, don't sell yourself short. Come on. I'm telling you, Brian, if Orestine Williams ever does open up about, I mean, she one of her daughters was murdered in Compton, California. She's been through divorce. She's been through all kinds of stuff with her kids. If she finally does it, you know, I, I got the feeling a lot of people will understand that that's a story worth telling. And I'll, and whoever gets that story, if it happens, I'll, I'll sit down and watch and be happy to hear it. Well, I hope you get it. I would love to get it. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm way down the potential list, but I think there are important stories to, to hear. I, 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 like, I like getting inside the ribs of people, you know? And I love the athletic part. I want to I I understand how it works why it beats the way it does, you know? Yeah, we're the same in that way. I've done this show for 17 years, and I'm just curious about people. I'm fascinated by people and their story and, you know, hopefully asking the questions that they haven't been asked before and and kind of getting inside their minds. And I think everyone has an interesting story to tell. So I never get bored of this job because there's a different story to tell every week. You know, that's, I've been asked, uh, you know, over the years, I used to, especially in the beginning, when I was first starting out, people said, God, why do you just like talking to dumb jocks? Like, why don't you do hard news? Why don't you get on a news magazine? I, and I, I think athletes are remarkable people, remarkable people. I mean, that they could dedicate themselves, and declare themselves at such a young age and be that committed and have dreams that big. I, I mean, sometimes there are athletes who are just, why am I? This this guy is a tennis ball with feet. Why am I listening to this guy? But sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you you come to understand how somebody how where their dreams started and what they had to go through to get there and the resilience of their hearts. I mean, I I listen to that kind of stuff all day long. No, I I totally agree. So here's the last question. I've been doing a lot of zooms lately with journalism classes. And I look at what's going on in journalism right now where, you know, lots of people, lots of really good qualified people are losing their jobs. And it's hard for me to not be honest with the the journalism students. I, I tell them, look, this is a great path for you, the storytelling, you know, the skills you want to build. But this is an industry that's declining right now. Jobs are, are being eliminated. If you're speaking to journalism students, or we have a lot of journalism students who listen to this show, what's your advice? Who someone You've been in this industry a long time, but it's changing. It's changing like crazy. I mean, it's, it's, it's a tough one. And, and what has complicated things for people who want to be professional storytellers is social media. A lot, a lot of athletes don't need us anymore or don't think they do. You know, they, they bypass us and go and tell their story on Players' Tribune, you know. Cynthia Cooper, by the way, did one the other day that knocked me down because I'd interviewed her for Real Sports many years ago. God, she told her story better than anybody else could have told it, and you heard her voice when she told it. Hmm. So I think one of, one, of the, one of the problems, and it'll only get tougher, is that, that you know, so much of social media, and if you do want to write, and if, you know, they'll say, you know, 800 words or less, you know, and it's got to be a big headline, and it's got to be. So I think it's important for journalists 
to understand the current environment and what it is people are looking for. And the hope, I mean, I, the hope is that the kids you're speaking to, the, the, the young men and women who want to be journalists are willing to go deeper than that, to find a place and find space where they can tell a story better. It's one of the, it's one of the biggest reasons I love being on real sports. You know, our stories can go, there's no commercials. Um, so you can tell a 15 minute story and it could be patient and it could be, you know, and it could be layered and textured. And we're not allowed to use music on our show. So you can't manipulate the moment <laughs> or the viewers by using, you know, cheesy, corny music or dramatic music. It's got to be there. You have to get it from that person you're talking to. Um, and that is, so, and, and frankly, there's a lot of content, a lot of, a lot of outlets now need a lot of content. The documentaries, which, and I've done about eight or nine of them over the years, and I love doing them. I've written a couple of them. I've, I've been a part of a bunch of them. I love long-form storytelling, and I would suggest that that you know your your the your young journalists can you know think in those ways as well. What can I? What, how do I go deep? Because there's there's room for that too. All these people, all Netflix, who they all need content, and you know so that's available to them as well. But it's hard, and I, I think the most important thing is. To keep your voice, you know, to know your voice and to keep it and make it singular, you know, and and truthful. And and if you can use your own authentic voice to tell a story, nobody can do it that way except you. Now that's, that's really what I tell. That's really good advice. Has anyone ever come to you or your buddy John McEnroe and said, "Hey, we really want you to get on social media"? <laughs> I've been asked. By just about everyone I've ever worked for. <laughs> so why yeah, not? Um, I just, I have avoided, I'm not on any social media. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on Twitter. I'm not on, I'm not on anything. I, 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 it, to me, it looks like a, a, a toxic time suck. Uh, I, and I, so I, I read a lot off of Twitter. Obviously I read a lot of, a lot of stories, newspapers, I follow magazines. And and I I I'm very grateful for Twitter in those ways. I just don't want to jump in there. I, I just I, I just have a feeling I'd never get out. <laughs> <laughs> well, and McEnroe on there. Can you imagine McEnroe and Barkley? If I could pick two people today to put on social media that aren't on there right now, it would be John McEnroe and Charles Barkley. I <laughs> that is a good call. But I think we both know exactly what they'd be saying anyway. I mean, I think, I think I can hear their tweets from, from here. Yeah. That's very funny. <laughs> Mary Carrillo, member of the sports broadcasting hall of fame, terrific correspondent for HBO real sports. You see her on NBC with the Olympics, the national dog show, longtime tennis commentator. You know, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time. So when uh, HBO real sports called and said you were available, I was thrilled. So I'm so glad that we had this conversation. I'm so glad we did as well. I really enjoyed speaking to you. And keep up the great work and uh, be safe and happy holidays. You too. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. There's no question that live sports and entertainment events are changing as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. 
to ensure a strong recovery that keeps fans safe and engaged. Sports venues are reimagining game day with Boingo's 5G connectivity solutions. Boingo Wireless helps partners across the NFL, NBA, MLS, and NCAA redefine the in-venue experience with 5G-ready cellular and Wi-Fi 6 networks that power new touchless technologies. From contactless ticketing and security and in-app food ordering to IoT robotics for cleaning and maintenance, Boingo's backbone of wireless connectivity makes new stadium use cases possible. Choosing a digital transformation partner you can trust is key to achieving fan experience goals and following rigorous health and safety protocols. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They help world-class venues navigate a complex and ever-changing technology landscape and have done so for 20 years. I recently had Austin FC President Andy Lochnane on Sports Business Radio. Here's what he had to say about Boingo, Austin FC's 5G partner. A relatively competitive process led to a relatively easy decision. The decision to go with Boingo was one that came with a lot of comfort and confidence. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most, and Boingo makes it all possible. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. If you need a trusted partner for your network and digital transformation needs, look no further than Boingo. Learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. That's sbradio at boingo.com. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends from Boingo Wireless, CBDMD, and Mizzen in Maine. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.